0: you're listening to better fishing with two bald biologists sponsored by the north carolina wildlife resources commission i'm corey oakley the assistant chief of fisheries management for the inland
1: fisheries division and i'm ben ricks coastal region Fisheries supervisor
0: we are fisheries biologists who are avid anglers we want to link the work we do as biologists to your fishing our goal in this podcast is to use the information we have as an agency to help you catch more fish and learn about our state's great aquatic natural resources.
1: So guys, we're here backstage at the Major League Fishing event, Red Crest on Lake Norman Championship, right, Corey? It is the championship. championship.
0: $300,000 is on the line this weekend.
1: This is a super great opportunity to be here, represent the Wildlife Commission at this event. First thing we're going to do is we're going to talk to one of the founders, Gary Klein. Yep. We're going to see what he has to say, talk to him a lot about bass fishing and bass fishing in general, and then we'll go from there.
0: And then we're going to have other anglers that are going to come if they get cut in the
1: tournament or if they're just around. Some of them may not be that happy to talk to us. They might not be that happy.
0: They'll like to talk to us,
1: but they won't like the fact that they're not still fishing.
0: And we are going to try to snag the one and only Kevin Van Dam. Hopefully we can get him on the podcast. Hopefully.
1: That would be awesome. That would be awesome. We'll see where it goes. But yeah, so
0: Red Crest is a great event. A lot of people are here. There's just a lot of vendors here, but there's just a lot of anglers here, and that's just a really awesome place to be. We've had a fun, we've only been here for a
1: short period of time, and we've had a lot of fun with it. Any time that I can talk to a couple thousand anglers or more, I'm thrilled. And there's definitely a couple thousand. (laughs) Right now, there's a couple thousand here. (laughs) This is insane. (laughs) That's right. All right, guys, we are backstage at the Major League Fishing Event Red Crest. It's the big event for the year for this league, and we're really honored right now to have Mr. Gary with us, so introduce yourself if you don't mind.
2: Well, thank you, uh, Gary Klein, and you know, most people across this country know that I'm just an angler that loves to fish.
0: Well, that's a good thing. We're anglers that love to fish, too. We just don't get paid for fishing.
2: Uh, Well, I tell you, you know, that's one of the really cool things about this sport. I meet so many great people across this country. The main thing that we all share at whatever level that we Enjoy our fishing, whether it's off the bank in a tin boat with the family once a month or twice a month or four days a week, five <laughs> days a week. Yeah, we all share a passion for fishing.
3: Yeah,
2: that's something that I've been involved in my entire life. I don't remember the first fish I ever caught. I saw a lot of pictures when I was very young, standing on the banks. I was probably five, six, seven years old. You know, with the bobber. Oh yeah. You know, oh, catching yeah. sunfish and catfish, and you know, to me, fishing doesn't just have to be about what I do, bass fishing, because there's so many species across this country that are pretty intriguing to me, and they're a totally different fish to catch.
1: Yep, absolutely. I agree. I have what I like to do, and then when I go somewhere else, I really want to do something different. I want to go do something I don't have the opportunity to do in my backyard.
2: There you go. You hit the nail on the head. I'm the type of aggro I get bored real quick, and what I mean by being bored real quick is that my thing with fishing is not reeling the fish in. My thing in fishing is to establish a pattern, find an area that's got a concentration of fish, and then I leave. I go look for other areas mm-hmm. or other groups of fish. That's right. Because that's what I have to do in order to continue to compete with such a great field of anglers that we have is I have to push myself to not be comfortable. Mm. If all that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, it does. I totally get that with my own fish. it's like once I know where they are, where they're sitting, what they're doing. I'm like, okay, I've got these. Now I need to go find more. I don't really want to beat them up. Exactly. You Because I want to come back tomorrow or the next day or next week and get on them again.
0: See, and I'm the total opposite because I don't get to go fishing enough. (laughs) And
1: and I fished with a guy who I dearly
0: love and is a longtime Lake Norman fisherman, been fishing the lake for probably close to 50 years. He goes, we don't leave fish to go find fish. He's like, that's a no-no.
2: And I'm like, Okay, <laughs> that's <laughs> so, right. Every day is a new day. Well, hey, here's another little thing that I learned very early on: that bass fishing is a very humbling sport because no matter who you are, how good you think you are, or how well you think you have them figured out, they always
0: change. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. I tell people, you know, your guys are out here fishing Lake Norman today, all this weekend, and I've fished Lake Norman a bunch in my working for the commission. I've done work where I fished on Lake Norman to. Catch different species, and that place can be very humbling. Like, you think you got it figured out, and the next day can be an absolute skunk. I mean, and you're just like, what happened? And like, the conditions are the same. Like, the conditions really didn't change, but the fish have just done something completely Mm -hmm. different on you, you know, which intrigues me about fishing, you know, that they're always doing something different. And I tell people a lot of times, for me, it's not necessarily about the fight getting them to the boat, it's that I convinced that animal to eat the thing that I put in front of its face. And that's kind of the, just getting them to bite is part of the intrigue to me.
2: Oh, without a doubt. You know, that's one thing that as a young angler that actually started my competitive career back in the seventies, I've had the uh, opportunity to evolve as an angler, but I've also had the opportunity to evolve with the fishing industry. So back in the early years, it wasn't a for sure thing that you would launch your boat and come back without breaking down. Corey and I still have days like that. (laughs) Well, it's only your fault now because there's really, really good equipment. You got to have money to buy that really good equipment, it's been fun for me because I've been able to evolve, but also, you know, fishing has gotten better. We have more fish across the country that are better quality fish. A lot of our even aging reservoirs are continuing to put them out. I mean, you know, really, really catch a lot of fish so i'm excited to be a part of that too sure initiative of trying to ensure that we have good fisheries in the future for all of our young anglers or new anglers that want to get involved in the sport because bass fishing is a challenge it will challenge you like nothing you've ever done before and the cool thing about it there's no right way there's no wrong way to fish it should be your way those are the challenges plus it's a family oriented sport there's no age limits I'm 65, and I'm still out here on the Bass Pro Tour. Yeah, I've never thought about not being here. Let me just say that. And one of the things that that I find about the sport, because I fish
0: to fish. I'm not into the tournament scene. I mean, it's great. I'm not knocking it or anything like that, but it's not my thing. But one of the things I've noticed having gone to your event this weekend and been around and been around the show, been here at Red Crest, is that your anglers are very approachable. They're very kind. They spend time with the people that come out to meet them. You don't see that in every sport. You don't see that time being spent by anglers or by other sports figures that we have in the public, you know? And I I find that amazing because these guys are having to concentrate on fishing. Some of them have been knocked out of the tournament, so they've had a bad day. You know, they got cut.
2: So now they have to come to the show and work the way we are. Yeah, (laughs) and they have to come to the show and work. But
0: even then, they still, you know, they've spent time with us on podcasts. I watch them, they're all over the show, spending time, and you talk about being family-oriented. There's families everywhere out here having a good time and and enjoying the show, and that I really appreciate about the sport, for sure. Pretty cool industry. It is a pretty cool industry. It makes me
1: thrilled to be just a small part of it on our end. Yeah,
0: you can just approach anybody and talk Mm -hmm. to them, and they'll talk to you all day long. I mean, we can't shut up. I mean, that's why we got a podcast. (laughs) 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 So... We understand you're the, one of the founding members of Major League Fishing. Tell us how that came to be, why you did that, all that kind of stuff.
2: Well, let me just start off by saying that where we are today, we're evolving. I have always been evolving as an angler with the industry moving forward. But if you were to look at my background and where I came from and what I grew up with, I got to the point where I couldn't see it elevating. I couldn't see it going anywhere other than where we were. We had a core base of fans that were diehard anglers, which is fantastic. We've always had that hardcore base, of which, you know, they're all here in the building. They're all just super, super people. But as a profession, I wanted to see corporate get involved, uh, price money go up, uh, get the anglers more of a sports figure, focus more on the angler than the fish. Mm-hmm. And that right there has always been in my mind. You know, I've qualified for 30 Bassmasters Classics. I guess really my claim to fame would be the fact that I finally beat Roland Martin's record. And Roland (laughs) Martin's record on the BASS circuit was Roland Martin had fished 25 Bassmasters Classic, having never won one. I've qualified for 30 Bassmasters Classics (laughs) and have never won one. So that'll go down in the history books. And then Kevin now is retiring. So Kevin won't fish 30 Bassmasters Classics. I've gotten Angler of the Year a couple times on the BASS. So I've won several events and I fish all of the FLWs, US Opens. I mean, I grew up on the West Coast traveling out here. But after a while, it just became pretty obvious to me that it was the same old, same old. A great thing. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't complaining, but I really felt that I had the desire to see if we couldn't do something different. And improve on our sport and get more people aware of our sport create something that they would become even if they weren't anglers they would at least pay attention it was fascinating to watch and the conversation that happened between Boyd Duckett and myself in 2009 we're actually at the Bassmasters Classic at Shreveport and we were in the parking lot spooling line just two fishermen boat to boat sitting there hey man Wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? Or, wow, man, you know, I really wish we would have done this. And that conversation after that event picked up. And we said, hey, let's try something. We had no idea, but let's try to put together a a small group of anglers that were willing to invest their money and invest their time with no reward for the time. But just let's just all kind of go all in on trying to do something for the future. And in 2011, we had created our very first TV show, and we had the Major League Fishing Cup event Mm -hmm. on Lake Hampstead. And that was the beginning of our venture. It still continues today as we evolved. But even leading up to our first event, we knew that we had to have a media partner because this group of anglers couldn't afford to buy the airtime. Sure. And, uh, of course, we had to bring other people in. And the two that we brought in at the very beginning was Jim Wilburn and Don Rux. And those two guys are, I mean, there's no way that we would be where we are today without them. I uh, think like anything else in life, you surround yourself with good people. Sure. And we were doing that. So we took our concept, and we hadn't even shot a pilot, to the head CEO at the Outdoor Channel. Timing was everything, and it just so happened that they were looking to become number one with their network in fishing, like they were in hunting. So they had a desire to go down this pathway with bass fishing, competitive bass fishing, and it just, timing was perfect. So we actually had a really good meeting and came to an agreement without, they've never seen a pilot. And it was just the ideas that we were throwing at them. Our outline and they really liked it. So then we partnered with the outdoor channel. And even today, the outdoor channel is still a 50-50 partner with Major League Fishing. But what happened is that the outdoor channel was purchased by KSC, Chronic Sports Entertainment. And we're like just part of that purchase, because it was a pretty big purchase across all those platforms. And we really had no idea where we were going to fit in or how we were going to fit in because now we had a new group to work with and an unbelievable group of people from KFC. They completely love what we're doing. They're a big part of what we're doing. And they encourage us, you know, every step of the way. But like any other business, you know, you have your challenges as you move forward. Well, we had a Event for TV, we aired once, we got great reviews. So the following season we aired two events and had great reviews, but we were only fishing with 24 anglers and we felt we had to expand, so we did. And we increased from uh two events a year to four events a year, from 24 anglers to 48 anglers because we created Major League Fishing uh selects. And we did that for a couple years and then we had the opportunity to go out on a limb, and acquire FLW. So we purchased FLW, and in our opinion, FLW was a phenomenal organization. I already had the network of tournaments across this country that were very well recognized, but the FLW brand was kind of going away. So we rebranded the FLW events. Major League Fishing Big Five is what we put them into, because we had five divisions. All the divisions were based on a five-fish weigh-in. So we live welled those fish. We have high school, college. We had the costas, BFLs. And then at that time, it was a tackle warehouse tour. And then we had our event. So, you know, again, we're evolving. Yeah. As we continue to build. But, you know, we've only been around four years. Yeah. yeah. Four years. You're, you're, you're young.
1: Oh, yeah, we went from it a very... It seems like longer than that to me, but you're right. It's crazy.
2: Yeah, we went from a very small group of guys that were doing TV competitions to the largest tournament organization in the country, and now we host 238 events every season yeah. across the United States. So, crazy. you know, we're getting our hands around that, our arms around it. I think we're doing a very, very good job of that. But let me just say this to the listeners that... The conversation that Boyd and I had in 2009 continues today. And the vision and where we are today, if it was to end today, I'd be very dissatisfied because the vision that Boyd has and the vision that I have is way grander than where we are right now. Gotcha. And it's going to be a process. You know, every year is better. We got to continue to build and create a sport out of competitive angling. That's my ultimate goal. Gotcha. Cool. It's
1: impressive. I mean, this is my first one of these events I've ever been to, so it's working out pretty well, (laughs) I would say.
2: Hey, I tell you, having a Red Crest here in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, a great facility. And Norman, you know, some say that Norman's not the lake we should have went to because it's not a great fishing lake. Well, let me just say this to those that say that, is with our format, it's called competition. And our format makes any fishery we go to very competitive because you're in qualifying groups. There's a tremendous amount of strategy that goes into being the final angler at Championship Sunday. So we don't have to be on the best fisheries. We have to be on a fishery that has a lot of fish in it, like Norman. A lot of different condition changes like we're having this week, both spotted bass, largemouth. So these anglers out here, none of them that are in the top 10 have been one-dimensional this week. They're changing techniques. Both of them are trying to focus on a little bit of largemouth and spotted bass and better quality spotted bass. But you can't catch what doesn't live in a water body. You know, we know what Norman has. Norman's showing off just like Norman always does. It's a great fishery. It's a fun fishery to fish because it's so full of fish.
0: It's active, for sure. You'll be active out here. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And if you don't get bit on Norman, it's your own fault. They might be a pound and a half, two pounds. But anyhow, I enjoy fishing those types of legs. So
0: what I just heard was all those times that I've been skunked, it was my fault,
2: which I knew that. It's a hard truth to accept. Hard truth. Hey, dude, this is an individual sport, right? So yeah. whether you succeed, if you succeed, you can pat yourself on the back. And if you fail, you can't blame it on anybody else but yourself.
1: My wife knows when I come home and I'm skunked, I'm a little harder to deal with than a day (laughs) when I catch a lot of fish because I am hard on myself.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, having the platform in Major League Fishing, again, part of my vision, it's almost like I feel I have a responsibility. I guess because my dream or a young kid's ambition, you know, I was 15 years old when I got involved in competitive angling. To where I am today, you know, my entire adult life, I've been a user of the resource. You know, I fish all public waters. We compete on public waters. The money that I've won has been off of public waters. And one thing that has become very apparent to me as we move forward is that in this country, we're not building any new reservoirs. So the reservoirs that we have are the reservoirs that the new anglers and the young anglers, that's all they have to fish. And I've had so many experiences across this country. You like my best eye bass stringer was 4512 for largemouth. My largest largemouth that I've officially weighed in was Lunker 581. It was a 1379. My largest bag of smallmouth, 32 pounds. My largest bag of uh, spotted bass, 36 pounds, 12 ounces. It's
0: amazing I him. just roll that off his tongue. I wouldn't forget it either. Those are big sacks.
2: <laughs> well, I caught my larger... I finally caught a seven-pound smallmouth two years ago, and it was a 713, and it's the only seven I've ever caught. And that was always one of my life dreams, of catching a seven-pound smallmouth, because I know how precious those fish it's are. It's a life
0: dream of mine, too. <laughs> oh, it was a hammer.
2: But here's where the, our Major League Fishing and our Fisheries Management Division... You know, I brought in Stephen Barden. He's our young biologist that runs our fisheries management division. I met Stephen about 13 years ago. And I met Stephen not by accident. I met Stephen because my girls who run my social media platform, I'm not a guru with it. But they kept calling attention to this Tarleton State graduate, and actually he was a teacher there, all the writings. He's a fisheries biologist. He has his own company. It's called Texas Pro Lake Management. But when I would read what he was writing, I was just so intrigued. I mean, it's like this kid here has got his act together. He's very knowledgeable. Very
0: smart guy.
2: Yeah. So I went out of my way. He only lives an hour from me. And I actually met him. He invited me to come out to every year. We have an annual camp in Texas It's called the Texas Bass Brigade. We have 24 cadets, as we call them. They're ages 13 to 17, and the way they get into the class is they have to submit a survey. Not a survey, but a... Application? Well, yeah, they do an application, but they actually have to write why they want to come to the class. Gotcha. And out of what they submit, those top cadets are chosen. So I went to the class for a day, and I was blown away because I think I learned more than the students did. It's just not about fishing. I mean, we had all the Texas Parks and Wildlife there. They had the shock boats. The kids actually got to electroshock from a boat, electroshock with a backpack. Then they sang the creeks. Every day was just classroom after classroom. And these cadets were up before the sun came up. And most of the time, it wasn't lights out until about midnight because they're all working on projects. It was all competition. And it was really cool for me to watch when the children or young teenagers are dropped off or young adults are dropped off. By their parents they're gone the parents leave all the instructor have you know we have these cadets with us for a week and then we have graduation day where all the parents come and then of course you know all the cadets do all their presentations how they've changed in five days unreal
1: i will also say that sunrise to sundown is very good fish biologist training
2: (laughs) oh (laughs) yeah yeah we worked them hard but anyhow that's how that relation started but his vision with fisheries across the country was intriguing to me because it's never been done before. Yeah. Normally, state agencies don't work with other state agencies with their data collection, with the research. Some do, but most don't. And Stephen, who is very well connected in that community across the country, was saying, Hey, you know, and we started really trying to focus on what could we do. And then, of course, The other thing I got caught up in is when I created the format for Major League Fishing, it was catch-way release. I did away with the blast-off in the morning, you know, trying to race back to weigh-in, and I didn't want to live well any fish, so we didn't transport fish. We didn't pull fish off the beds in the spring. We caught them. Our fish averaged 24 seconds out of the water, and we were really starting to recognize how important that catchway release is for the future of the sport and it was very conservation minded but yet i felt that if anybody really opened up the book <laughs> and you know look beyond the cover of major league fishing that we had no fisheries department you know it was just the format was really cool so i saw a need with major league fishing to have a fisheries management division and that's where I brought Stephen Barden and myself in. And we created the Major League Fishing Management Division, you know, and we're partnered with Berkeley Labs, one of our biggest supporters. And, of course, you know, I've been in Berkeley angler for quite a few years. But what our main objective, our main goal is, is one of the unique assets that we have with Major League Fishing is our data collection. I have the data on every scorable bass that has ever been waiting in a major league fishing event. And that data that we collect just one week, and we're collecting it here on Lake Norman, that data collection is very important for the state agencies because when they electroshock, it means man hours, equipment, time on the water, and they cannot collect that amount of data that we do in just a week. So what we have done with that data, working with the state agencies, is allow them access to all that data. And we're trying to bring everybody together because here's the bottom line, folks, that as an angler that's been a user my entire career, I've had a very good career. You know, BASS is what I grew up on. I've had the opportunity to create major league fishing and continue to pursue. But the one thing that I realized that we've got to make sure that we maintain and ensure our fisheries across this country. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is bring everybody together, educate, let everybody understand what everybody faces, and create a network where everybody kind of works together. Everything that we're learning as we move forward with our programs should be accessible to everybody else, all the other state agencies that want to Mimic or create, or if they've got questions. For example, a month ago, maybe a little bit over a month ago, Stephen had our fisheries management division, Major League Fishing. We had the first ever teleconference. Oh, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah, I was there. We ended up yeah. with, I believe, we had 22 states and like 86 fisheries biologists that were on that call. That's never been done before. Never been done before. And I want our management division to be the place that if anybody's got a question, they can pick a phone up, call us, and we can get it going.
0: I'll chime in and say, Stephen's been a great help. And Stephen's a good guy. Stephen's, like I mentioned before, very intelligent, very smart fish biologist. Yeah, I mean, I, I know when this is all said and done, he gets back to his office and he can parse through all the data that's <laughs> in front of him because they've caught a lot of fish this week. You know, we'll end up seeing all that data. Yes. And that's a very valuable resource. And we had this conversation with Kevin Van Dam earlier in the week what we as state managers are really looking for particularly from anglers and from professional anglers as Mm -hmm. well it's all grouped together we're all
2: in this together we're all in this together
0: one of the things that does excite me and i think your tour has pushed this quite a bit is that conversations with state biologists federal biologists are happening more and more whereas 20 30 years ago anglers and biologists really didn't talk a whole lot to each other no and there are things to learn on both ends of the spectrum. There's things that anglers don't know that we know, and there's things that biologists don't know that anglers know. And getting in the same room together, or getting on the same call together, whatever that might be, and having those conversations. And so my plug is to people that listen, because we got people from all over the state of North Carolina that mm-hmm. listen to us, is that if you want to get involved, find your local biologists, start having conversations with them, start learning from them, and having conversations so that they can learn from you. It's a two way street and it does take all of us. I 100% agree, Gary, that in order to conserve fisheries in the future, we got to educate ourselves. We got to be smart about what we do. That's the only way to move the conservation forward into the future.
2: Oh, exactly. I mean, you're so correct on that. And I tell you, as an angler of my age that's been involved in this sport for as long as I have, dude, it absolutely blows me away with the information that the biologists, the fisheries people that I've met across this country, which most of them, if not all of them, are outdoorsmen. Yeah, they fish. Dude, they love to hunt and fish yeah. just the way I do. And their passion for what they do is just the same as what my passion is for what I do. We just took different career paths. Exactly. You totally. took the smarter one. We took the No, number. No, 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 <laughs> well, no, no. And we said that in one of our very first podcasts
1: last year when we were talking to <laughs> another bass pro. We said, We wanted to have a career in fisheries, and there's only but so many ways to do it. And this was the path that Corey and I took.
2: Exactly, yeah. But I would just like to see it across this country where we have biologists that are in charge of certain lakes where they feel proud. they got a big grin on their face. And I know that being a fisheries biologist on a public water body is tough because I'm a bass fisherman, and those... Biologists listen to bass fishermen, but they also listen to other anglers. And you have to, how can I say this? If you have a public body water, you've got to kind of manage it for multiple species for all different interests. And that's a tough road. It is. Because you've got to find that neutral balance. We have to balance. And we say this on our podcast all the time. The
0: thing that anglers always want from us is that whatever species they focus on, right, they want their lake to be great at it. Yep. And we tell them, guess what? Not every lake is great at everything. In fact, it can't be. It's not possible. Like, we can't be great at bass and crappie and hybrids and stripers and catfish and, you know, you name all the species. You can't have
1: 15 trophy class fisheries all in the same lake. There
0: are some lakes that just grow fish and grow fish, and they are, but those are few and far between. Yes, they are. Generally, the lake shows out on one species or two species as a whole, Mm -hmm. you know? And as a biologist, we're going to take that and run with it. You know, we're going to manage for those few things because we know those things work great here. And so, yeah, you're right. It is a juggling act. And, yes, we do, you know, not only are we at a, at a bass event, we'll be at a striper event or a catfish event. Or, or a
2: crappie event.
0: Crappie yep. event.
2: We got to do it all. Yes. You know, so
0: it definitely is a balancing act for
2: sure. Yes, it is. And uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you guys that have to do that. Well, we appreciate that. We've
0: probably taken up way too much of your time because you got, you know, places. To, I, well, I, I got
2: to go to, I got the kids down there I to go teach I have seen you at time. the show.
0: Yeah, you're here with the Boy Scouts doing mm-hmm. mossback structures and mm-hmm. fishing line recycling things. And I have witnessed this weekend that the words that you have said are not just words. I have seen you doing it in person with those kids. So Thank I you. know you are Thank very, you. very, very passionate about it. I get it. Ben has witnessed it as well. We've sat really right across the hall. We've been watching it. (laughs) It's been a lot of
1: fun across the booth from these guys. Yeah, we've been
0: watching it right across the booth, and we can't appreciate you guys coming to North Carolina, having this event here, and trying to instill in our youth a conservation-minded ethic. And we're all getting older, and it's going to take our young people to lead us into the future when it comes to conservation. But Gary, we can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me.
1: It's been great. Thank you so much. All right, guys, we are backstage at the Major League Fishing event, Red Crest, and the first guy we are talking to today is Brett Myers. Brett, introduce yourself to everybody.
4: Hey, guys, uh, I'm Brett Myers, Major League Fishing Pro. Grew up right in this Charlotte area fishing Lake Norman, Lake Wiley. I actually fished my very first bass tournament ever on Lake Norman, and I could remember it like it was yesterday, and that's where I got the bug. But I actually live on Lake Wiley. And I fish Lake Wiley a lot. I've, I've got two boys, one who's very smart, who don't care about fishing whatsoever. And the other one is just like me, and he loves to fish all the time. So we both, you know, we fish the lake all the time. We talk about Norman Wiley and all the lakes around and uh, absolutely just love bass fishing.
1: That's great. I'm excited to have you on. I did my master's research on bass tournaments, so bass fishing and bass tournament, aside from being a fisherman myself. From a biological perspective, I enjoy talking to you guys, and and it kind of harkens back to some of my graduate school research, so it's a lot of fun. We got a few questions we're going to run through and see what your opinions are, and just thank you again for staying here. Corey, you want to go down to the first question? Sure. So, in your mind, you do a lot of bass fishing. You bass fish across the country.
0: What do you think are some of the issues that pose the largest threats to bass fishing right now?
4: Don't softball us. No, no, no. I'm not trying to softball. I mean... A lot of it is just fish care, and there may be some guys from my home lake, but they have night tournaments, and every single Tuesday, you know, I know a lot of fish die because I may, or Thursday, because I may actually, and this is not picking on any certain tournament organization, but it's every tournament organization. Like, on Friday morning, I might go fishing, and I see fish floating around there. So I just wish a lot of tournament organizations, especially the ones who have tournaments every single week, really work hard on stiff penalties, maybe reducing the penalty, especially the dead fish penalties whenever there's, uh, you start getting into later in the months, the Mm -hmm. hot days, you know, Mm -hmm. we all know that are catastrophic to fish. And that's, you know, some things. And then also, you and I have talked, Corey and I, this guy spent like two, two and a half hours on the phone with me. He'll do it. And he was telling me in his, not perspective, in his, what's the word, knowledge, I guess you would say, what's going on with the spotted bass because like Lake Wiley used to be just a tremendous largemouth fishery and it's not as much anymore. The spotted bass, the Alabama bass has moved in there and really changed things. So managing those are something that, you know, I'm sure you guys get sick of talking about, but that's something I want to make Lake Wiley a better fishery where we live out on a lake. You can look across the lake and 20 years ago, white bass, largemouth were schooling, everybody was out there catching them, tournaments were 24, 23 pound bags, and my son doesn't get to see any of that, so, but those are some of the issues, you know, just fish care, taking care of our resources, you know, and how can we all come together, and which, all across the Red Chris this week, they're talking about that, the F1 deal and all that stuff, but I love bass fishing, and I want to see it sustain and, and stay really good. It's not horrible by any means. I'd love it, dude. If I was, if I wasn't here today and it's raining, it's cold outside. You'd be fishing. I would be on (laughs) the lake sure. (laughs) That's right.
1: Yeah. But yeah, just to nerd out for a minute, because that's what Corey and I do about fish science is you're absolutely right. The fish care is probably an increasingly important thing, especially when your water temperature is over about 75 degrees. And really, especially once you get into the 80s, it definitely is yeah. a kid yeah. have a big impact on the, in a given and
0: mortality week. goes up dramatically as water temperature rises, as we all know. Because you're, I mean, no matter how good a care you take of them, right, while they're in the boat, they are in a hot box while they're in the boat when the water temperature is hot. And the air temperature being hot, too, doesn't help either. I mean, it's all part of it. Yeah, and our motto, in fact, we talked online yesterday with Marty on the air about moving fish you were talking about alabama bass and you were talking about one of the things you mentioned was white bass well the reason white bass aren't here is another fish that got moved into the lake which is white perch and that's what eliminated white bass and so when you move fish around it does have consequences and we try to tell our anglers all the time you know hey try not to move fish please don't do it one it's illegal but two it has detrimental effects
1: for sure right all right we'll move on to the next question in To me, I like this question. What are some of the best things that are currently happening right now in the sport of bass fishing? What are we doing right in bass fishing? I guess maybe a good question. So what are you guys doing right? Or
4: in general, either way. Some people don't like this, some old schoolers, but the new electronics. It's powerful. It's powerful, which also is contradicting because it helps people catch more fish, the more fish you have, the higher mortality rate of tournaments and all that good stuff. But for me... I've always been an electronics guy and a lot of the old school techniques I have that I thought I was a little better than most people are out the window now because these electronics are so cool, but it's rejuvenated me. You know, when you can go out there and you can see a bass on a stump in 12 foot of water and you cast and he moves and you can chase him around the lake until you catch him. <laughs> that's some mind blowing technology. So that, to me is the coolest thing. But on the flip side of that, the learning curve is so much quicker. Sure, you, know, yeah. you see a lot of younger anglers now where they just go straight to those electronics. They catch them like they've been doing it for 100 years. They've only been doing it for two or three years. Sure. Yeah. And also, one thing that's cool in bass fishing, especially directly with me, is Major League Fishing's catch-way release. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The older I get, the more I can appreciate the resources we have. When we catch a fish, and we even if it's bleeding a little bit, and I know if we let it go right then, it's going to survive. There's not going to be any, you know, you're not killing that fish that you work so hard for. That's why I've never, been, I've never been big into hunting, which I know hunting is a way to manage the amount of deer or whatever it's out there. But I don't want to kill anything. You know, I just want to catch a fish, let it go, and hope to catch it again. And actually, on Wiley, I have done that many times. Year after year, I've caught the same fish off the same docks. But that's some of the positives right now that's really you know, going the way I like. Sure. So here's an easy one. This one won't take a whole lot of thought, I don't think. So give us your
0: top two lakes that you like in bass fishing in North Carolina. I think I know one of them. Maybe.
4: I'm a tournament angler, so I'm probably not going to answer this like most people do. No, but that's an honest answer. I mean, that's, we get that. Lake Wiley. As hard and as pain in the neck it is sometimes to catch fish out there, I love that lake. That would be one of my favorites. I'm going to give you three. I like Norman a lot. And my favorite... Why do you like Norman? Just asking. What is it about Norman that you like? Again, probably because I'm a tournament angler. I'm always out there trying to figure out a different way to catch fish. Even when I'm fun fishing and I catch a fish, I still look over my shoulder. You know, I do all that <laughs> That's <right>. goofy stuff. <laughs> yeah, Because I just always want to have an edge on somebody when it comes to catching fish. And Norman has... It's just got everything. You can catch them any way you want to. If you're struggling on one in the lake, you can run up in dirty water. You can run in current. You can, it's, there's everything going on in Norman. Yeah, there's a lot of different yeah. ways you can catch them. And, and that's a question, not just North Carolina, but people ask me all the time, what is your favorite lake? And that's a tough one for me. I, a lot of them are, are not necessarily great lakes. They're just lakes that I do well in tournaments in. Mm-hmm. What was your third? You said you had three. In North Carolina... And I haven't fished there much, but like Falls Lake, those lakes up there are fantastic.
1: Yeah. Falls to me is a shad factory. It's just
0: plenty of food. Yeah, those Triangle Lakes, they just grow fish so well because it's just so productive
1: and there's so much forage there to, to eat. Okay. Here's a good one. How can bass anglers, tournament or otherwise, but just in general, bass anglers work with resource managers like Corey and myself, how can we work together to make things better for bass fishing?
4: That's the million-dollar question. I would like to see, you know, a lot of guys, if you're just getting into fishing, they're scared of the DNR. They think, you know, oh, what am I doing wrong or whatever, but they don't understand. You guys are here to make things so much better, and you guys do that. I would, you know, maybe at tournaments, things like that, you guys are present. Sure. You guys have been before uh, over the years I've seen. I'm not like, you guys aren't around or anything. I don't mean it like that, but... Thursday night tournaments on Lake Wiley or night tournaments on Lake Norman or something. Maybe somebody's there, and you're not there to, to beat up on everybody, but just to try to, hey, guys, let's work together. Let's take a 15-minute brainstorming idea. Everybody pitch out some ideas. And when you hear something a thousand times, then you start realizing that that's a— Might be something to listen that's to. That's something to listen to. So yeah, I get it. You know, I was at a tournament at Lake Gunnersville one time, and they had a swimming pool set up. And after all the fish, it was a bass cat tournament, actually. After all the fish were caught, they were put in that pool. This may or may not be, sometimes what I think is good for the fish may not actually be, if that makes sense. But they managed the fish, make sure they could set up right, correctly, didn't have any issues or whatever before they released them. Right, Just extra special care. Instead of just tossing them back in, they might needed to be fizzed. Anyway, what is the correct term for fizz? Because you guys have fizz we're cool with fizzing. we're cool with fizzing. when i had yeah. a conversation with Corey, i mean you could call it barrow trauma Uh-oh, if you what want did to I say no <laughs> when i had that two hour conversation Uh-oh. with Corey, i realized when i heard the fall that i absolutely knew nothing about bass fishing i don't know about
3: that
0: <laughs> oh no 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 you know we're coming at it from a totally different angle right well, maybe not totally different, but it is a different perspective. And y'all have perspectives that we don't necessarily get to see because we're not on the water every day like bass anglers are. And I think I told you that in the conversation that we had. Absolutely. But there are also things that we as biologists see that you guys don't get to see. And so we asked that question. And I think one of the things that we really need to work on is just having open communication and dialogue between anglers and resource managers so that we understand anglers perspectives and y'all understand our perspectives and we can kind of blend those together that's the whole point of this podcast if you ever listen to it you'll hear us we talk to anglers and talk about biology and talk about what they see and kind of marry those two together that's why we started the podcast we really want people that do what you do to have conversations with us to really start having conversations about how we can make it all better That's kind of the point of the podcast.
1: And Corey and I fish too, so we want it to be better as well.
0: Yeah, we also take tips from when we're
4: talking to you. So (laughs) So let me, if you're listening to this podcast, and I know a lot of people, I'll just be honest with you. A lot of people, they think that you guys really don't know what you're talking about. We get that a lot. Okay. It's okay. Our feelings have been hurt many times. (laughs) But let me go back to our conversation when Corey and I were on the phone with each other. So... He's telling me basically the evolution of when the white bass were there and the white perch came in. Now, I live on Lake Wiley, fish there all the time, and everything he told me was exactly to the T of what I experienced. I think you told me as soon as there's a white perch within just two to four years, the white bass will be gone and they were 100% gone. I'm telling you, and that put your knowledge into a whole different perspective for me. And it was pretty cool after that. I mean, I told people all the time about my, you know, our conversation. Like, well, I talked to this guy. He knows everything about the lake, you know. <laughs> I was shocked. So when I, when I hung up the phone that day, I was like, these dudes really know without a shadow of a doubt. And I never doubted it, but this just reiterated the fact that you guys have that much knowledge.
1: We are available to talk to Major League Fishing guys, and we are available to talk to the guy who's sitting on a bucket by the boat ramp. Got like, you. We talk to all of them all the time. It's great to see all those different levels of fishing and talking to them as well. So, And we get a lot of input from our anglers, and it helps us understand what's going on as well. Especially, you know, one of the things about anglers, they typically see things
0: just a touch earlier than we will. Something happening, something changing, especially right. like an invasive fish. They'll be the first to see Alabama bass show up because they're catching them. Right. And our surveys... We'll eventually get there, but it takes us maybe, we're six months to a year behind them. You know, somebody will sh- shoot a picture and be like, what's right.
1: this? I'm like, uh-oh. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of yeah. There's one shop boat on the lake for two weeks. Yeah. There's how many bass boats and how many guys fishing. So yeah. their sieve is a lot finer than what
0: we can do exactly. sometimes. And, you know, they'll send me that picture and I'll be like, yeah, we're going to have a problem about five, ten years from now. Sure. So, you know, kind of thing.
1: But anyway. Well, that's great. So... Do you, speaking of talking to Corey for two hours, not that we have that much time, unless you need it, do you have any questions for us that are on your mind as far as like what's going on biologically or what's going on in North Carolina in general? Or just biology
4: in general. Yeah. I really don't. But I mean, if there's anything new up and coming that you can release and let us know, I'm always curious. I remember we talked about, you know, Lake Wiley probably needs some more offshore structure structure and yeah. stuff for fish to, for habitat and stuff yeah. like that. I think there are some ways and some funds out there, or, and it's, we probably don't have enough time to get into all that, but, it, you know, it all works together. If one lake makes their lake better, the other lakes around are going to follow suit, I would think. Usually do. It's usually a pattern. I want to have a hat that says make Lake Wiley better again. <laughs> you know? But I still, like I said, I still love the lake. But it's changed. It has changed a lot, uh-huh. but it's still one of my favorite lakes. I'm not griping and complaining. You know, anytime I get any extra time, I'm out there on the lake. If you live around there, you see me out there. So, you know, things aren't horrible. It's just changed, and you got to change with it. That's what I've noticed. Everybody who's ripened, like, has not adapted. My son went out there the other day, and they caught about 60 bass on Lake Wiley. Actually, he called me when they caught 50, and they were counting them. And then when he came back to the house, he was like, we caught 62 and so it's just a testament. The fish are there. They're just different depths. They're different than what they used to be. And still love the lake. Yeah. Sure. Got that. That's awesome. All right. I ask this question quite
1: often and this is a almost great almost
0: every podcast.
1: So you're right. gonna get it. This is a great opportunity and I know we got a lot of listeners that are gonna really dig on this question, but if you could only have one lure, drop you out of a helicopter room and you gotta have one lure, and that's the only one
4: you get, what would it be? Mm. It'd probably be a chatterbait right now. I hear that. Yeah. That just catches a lot of big fish. Let me back up. You can have another one if you want one. It would have to be a crankbait because a crankbait actually is the best at catching fish all year round. Yeah. It really is. A chatterbait has its time. It's When that water temperature is 56 degrees and rising, it's a home run bait. But prior to that, you might not get a bite on it. So it would be a crankbait. I think that's a good call. Yeah. Lots of fish have been caught on crankbaits for
0: sure. Well, man, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you being here. I know you got a busy day. You got lots of stuff to do out on the floor. Thanks so much for being here.
4: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it.
1: All right, guys, we're here with Marty Robinson. Again, we're at the Major League Fishing event, Red Crest in Charlotte. The event's on Lake Norman. Marty, why don't you introduce yourself?
5: Well, you know, like you said, I'm Marty Robinson, Bass Pro Tour Angler. I've been a on a professional tour, I guess, now for probably the past my wife has to remind me every day. I think it's sixteen or seventeen years, it's been a while. You know, some of that was on the on the Bassmaster Elites and then obviously when uh, you know, Major League Boyd and Gary created Major League Fishing, you know, that was probably four years mm-hmm. ago, maybe right. or five years ago, something like that. Been fishing it ever since. I do fish some of the uh, tackle warehouse invitationals with my son. My oldest son actually fishes the invitationals, and I do get to fish a few of them with him. But Sounds fun. Just an avid fisherman, and I got a plumbing business back home in South Carolina, so I did a little bit of commercial plumbing as well. Sure. Never know when you need a plumber. Well, you do know that's when you right. need a plumber.
1: <laughs> you generally know yeah. when you need a plumber.
5: If you're in his hometown, call him. He might be able to hook you up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, most of my revenue comes from plumbing and, uh, you know, cash a check every now and then in the fishing field. That's all right. (laughs) It's not a bad life. No,
1: no. So we got a few questions we're going to run through. Feel free to to answer them as you see fit. The first one is, what are some of the issues that you think poses the largest threat to bass fishing right now?
5: Well, obviously, to me, the biggest issue with bass fishing, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing is, you know, the amount of people that's actually gotten into the sport. Sounds familiar. Over Mm -hmm. the last few years, you know, obviously the catch rates are going to go down, but it helps and everything else benefits from the more people you have into bass fishing, the bigger the sport gets. But, you know, I mean, that's all relative in anything you get into actually. And I think everybody has to make adjustments and the fishermen have to make adjustments. And, uh, you know, instead of going to the lake nowadays, a lot of times and catch having those 30 and 40 fish days, you know, a a good day on the lake now, maybe, uh, 15 to 20 fish a day, but Mm -hmm. you just kind of haven't split it up with a lot of the other fishermen on the lake. But Hey, you know, everybody gets to enjoy the lake. Yeah. 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 We've, I mean, just like everywhere in the country,
0: when COVID hit, everybody came outdoors, you know, because that was the one thing you could do. And, that's put a lot of pressure on a lot of different fisheries. And particularly in North Carolina, as in South Carolina, where you from, we're getting a lot of people moving here. And so that's put a lot of people on the lakes as well, for sure.
5: Oh, yeah. COVID was the worst thing for the bass because <laughs> <laughs> it got everybody off the couch out there chasing them a little bit. But, you know, it's great for the sport, great for the yeah. industry. Yeah, I'm sure bass fishing sales overall over the last few years has increased and that's due to you know some of the effects of COVID I'm sure yeah so talk about the threat
0: what do you think are some of the best things about bass fishing right now
5: well some of the positives that I see in bass fishing right now you know a lot of the high school fishing Mm -hmm. and maybe some of the college fishing but I think probably the high school level is probably more important than all Mm -hmm. of it you know I actually got two boys that that came up fishing the high school series and, and one that actually still fishes the high school series. And it's the best thing that ever happened to a lot of the dads out there because now, you know, they actually got a hall pass to go fishing. <laughs> Honey, I got to take Junior out there. We got to practice. And, you know, instead I like of the that. wife saying, no, you're going to stay here and wash this truck or mow the lawn or whatever, she's like, yeah, you get Junior out there. You make sure he does good next week. But. <laughs> You know, on hindsight of that, if he gets out there next week and Junior don't catch him, he's in trouble. That's true. Yeah. There are consequences <laughs> for sure. But yeah, it's great. That's been great for the sport, great for the industry as well. A lot of the boat manufacturers have seen a, a huge increase oh, yeah. from that. Yeah. Because just like I was saying, you know, a guy goes to his wife and says, you know, I think I'm going to buy me a new boat. And she's like, eh, I think you probably won't. But, you know, if he says, well, I got to, for our kid to do good in the high school series we got to be able to compete we got to have the latest and greatest technology just like all these other kids out here we can't compete with them you know it kind of <laughs> gives him a excuse to go by you know 8 year or- even a hundred thousand dollar bass boat these days. Yeah. So. We got
0: to update our electronics for the kids. Well, yes. Well, my son can ask for an eighty or hundred thousand
5: dollar bass boat, and be like, "No, that's not going to happen." <laughs> <laughs> Your dad yeah. works for the state. <laughs> and that's the great thing about high school fishing too. You actually see a lot of the, a lot of the kids out there. A lot of the parents bringing the kids out there, and you know, a center console, maybe a a flats boat, and I've even seen a few pontoon boats. Yeah, but nothing wrong with that. No. They can still have a great, fun day on the water and spend some time with their kids instead of them sitting on the couch playing video games or playing on that phone all day. That's right. It's great no matter what. And me being a captain, being able to captain my boys, you know, I try to talk to a lot of the parents and encourage them and, you know, just do anything I can to help them to enjoy the sport, enjoy the time on the water with their kids and keeping it real. And, you know, keeps the kids out of a lot of trouble, helps them keep a good head on their shoulders, and I just think it's great all the way around.
1: Sure. I agree. And at the last expo we were at, we saw a 400R on the back of a pontoon boat, so that may... We did see a 400R on the back of a pontoon boat. some bass boats to run for their money,
0: (laughs) for sure. I thought, man, that's got to go quick. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
5: Yeah, I'm sure they are 400R. Now, you won't see me in a pontoon with a 400R on the back of it. I'm not uh, sure I want any part of that either, but... somebody did somebody
0: did (laughs) somebody put it on one i don't know if they've ever driven it but it was there (laughs) trying to get
1: ahead of the game there a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah. for sure exactly so since you're from south carolina we'll do it two ways what's your favorite lake in north carolina and then what's your favorite lake in general
5: well over the last couple years we've actually had a couple of mlf events up here in the raleigh durham area on jordan lake high falls lake and uh I really enjoyed fishing both of those lakes. Maybe Jordan a little more than High Falls, but they're both good lakes. But yeah, Jordan's definitely a jewel that you guys have got up here, and uh, it's got some great fishing in it. And, you know, it's just a fun place all the way around this time of year to fish. It is. I'm sure it's pumping out some good weights Yeah, we've seen quite a few 10-pounders in the past year out of there. You know, I don't
0: know what the ceiling is for it, but it's been a really good past, like, four to five years at Jordan, Yeah, we've really seen the population kind of, at least on the big fish side, there's always been a lot of bass there, but on the big fish side, we've really started to see more of those fish show up. I'd call it good management, but I think it's just, they're just hitting their stride, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it's just hitting their stride, you know. Sometimes best management's hands off.
5: That's right. That's exactly (laughs) right. Mother nature usually take care of herself. And uh, North Carolina is a lot like South Carolina. Y'all have a a lot of good bodies of water up here, a lot of good reservoirs to fish. I've fished a lot of places. You know, some of my first BFL regionals was up here on Kerr Lake uh, on Bugs Island. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed fishing those lakes. I fished the two lakes that are probably closest to me and are actually, Lake Wiley is actually on our high school tournament trail. Mm -hmm. We fish Lake Wiley a good bit. And even Norman, you know the guys are here fishing today on Norman, and I was telling somebody he was talking about Norman mainly a spotted bass lake. I said, yeah, I said it's uh to me Norman is probably one of the best places around to bring a kid fishing. There's so many of them this time of year, especially the month of April. I mean, you could bring a kid up here and you can still see some of those thirty and forty fish days, mm-hmm. and even a kid can have a great time and catch. Several decent fish a day. You know, you may not have no great big ones like Jordan, but it's a fun day on the water. You know, a kid don't care as long as he gets to set the hook and reel them in. That's right. So, we're managers, fisheries
0: resource managers. You're a fisherman. What are some of the ways you think that we could work better together?
5: Well, just right off the bat, obviously, kind of like this right here, just kind of sitting down, talking to each other. You know, me getting your opinion, you getting my opinion on the fisheries, how to improve them, how to make it better for everybody. And obviously we can't do nothing about the uh, water levels. You know, that's controlled (laughs) by the Corps of Engineers and, uh, you know, be able to have a handle on that a little bit, maybe bring the water up, make sure we get it up, you know, before the spawn happens, just increase spawning rates. But other than that, mainly keep an eye on the lakes, you know, doing creel studies and just being aware of how the lake's changing and what's going on on the lake, the habitat and all that, just keeping a close eye on that. I think obviously all that improves uh, the fishing, you know, on that lake. Yeah.
0: I think, you know, one of the things you were talking about, water levels, you know, but that's a conversation to have, right? Can we improve water levels at certain times of year? Because water levels are important for bass at certain times of the year, you know, in terms of their spawning and, and what they're doing. So, you know, those are conversations we need to have in the future to try to help manage some of these lakes a little better, especially oh, yeah. ones that are flood control and where the water can go up and go down. Some lakes, like like particularly at Norman, you know, where you got all these homes and residences that line the lakes, you really can't do a whole lot to those water levels. And they're run by energy companies, which is a little different too. So, oh yeah, a little bit of a different beast. They have a different program that they're doing there.
5: Oh, yeah. You know. Power kind of governs everything on that. Everybody's got to have power. we got to have lights on. Nobody (laughs) wants the heat. We need it right now. We need
0: it right now to record this podcast. Yeah, exactly.
5: (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, that's super important, obviously. I think up here, you know, around home, I'd say April's probably the prime time spawning month. I'd Mm -hmm. say it's probably similar up here. It is. It is. Your area. You know, it helps so much if that water level's back up to at least full pool, usually around the 1st of April. Is a good date, and you get off probably a, I'd say, twice as better of a spawn. You know, with that water level up, and got some bushes and brush and habitat in the water for the fry and the fingerlings to hide from all the predators in. Yeah. yeah, you definitely see an increase in the, in the fish per acre as far as that goes. Yeah, but yeah, that's something very important to talk about, look at, and get everybody thinking about. Maybe somebody hear this and. uh <laughs> Get a bright idea, maybe <laughs> make it happen or something. There you go. It's
0: what we're trying to do, right, Ben? Trying to make things we We're happen. trying to get
5: bright ideas. We're trying to get bright ideas. That's
1: what we do.
0: <laughs> Every once in a while, we might have a bright idea. Every right. once
5: in a while. yeah. <laughs> and you know, you also got a lot of these companies, maybe a couple of them here. I know there's one at the show, probably, I think it's called Mossback Habitat yep. or something. Yep,
0: yep. We use those in North Carolina.
5: Yep. You know, those are great projects to help lakes and stuff. And I know Gary Klein is a part of that program and really works with those guys closely. And, you know, anytime you can put more habitat in a lake, I'm sure that don't do nothing but good for it. Well, we did a project, mm, man, that project's probably at least 10 years old or older now.
3: Yeah.
0: Where we basically went out and looked at natural structure, artificial structure, and looked at the different fishes that utilize those things and how long those things last and everything and take home is it's kind of like field of dreams if you build it they
1: come yeah
0: you know kind of thing and i mean yes the natural structure which will hold fish a lot tighter for quicker yeah but it two years down the road it's gone you know kind of thing whereas that artificial structure and it's getting better and better like people like mossback that have done research on it you know they've designed things a little better so that structure is getting more complex So it's holding fish. So we use that in North Carolina. A lot of other states use it too. You're right. It's probably one of the more important things we can do as fisheries resource managers is provide habitat for the fish and for the anglers to utilize as well. It works both ways. That's
5: right. That definitely. And another super important thing is water quality. To me, that's very important because a lot of times you can look at a lake and think it's in good shape and the water quality may not be great. You know, there may be some... Industries or something upstream dumping some bad stuff into the lakes, and that can really hurt a lake. So, I think water quality is a huge deal. Just pay attention to what's running off in your lake.
0: Yep. Yeah. I agree with that as well. 100%. Fish need water, and fish need clean
1: water. Yep. Right. That's oh, true. Yeah. We try yep. to say fish need water at least one time every time we. Are- record these things. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they need
5: <laughs> they need water, you know. Got to have water to swim That's right. And uh you know, just like in Florida, you know, a lot of the Florida events I fish, you know, Harris Chain, St. Johns River places like that that I've been that's got natural springs, what I've noticed is a lot of the bass, whether it's instinctive or they just can tell that the water quality in those areas is really good. They're not the only fish that knows that. They
1: will sit in a spring head. <laughs> yeah.
5: Yeah. And they really go back to these areas. A lot of them are actually born there or hatched out there. And it's instinct. They will actually go back to those areas and spawn to reproduce just from instincts. And I got to thinking about that. And that's probably due a lot to the good water quality at the head of that spring. Oh, yeah.
0: Bass is one of them. But there are a lot of species, particularly in the southeastern United States, that utilize springs. Whether it be in reservoirs, rivers, wherever they
5: utilize springs a lot. That's kind of where they hang out. And fish typically, you know, when they're doing a the spawning ritual, they actually try to stay out of the current most mm-hmm. of the time. But if it's a spring-fed, if it's the current coming out of a spring head, it doesn't seem to bother them. Mm. You know, that's so.
1: interesting. Generally, that's gentle enough. It's not like a torrent. There are some powerful springs out there, but yeah, you got.
5: I know you got salt springs on the Saint Johns River. It's actually on the west shore of uh, Lake George. And I think that spring head has, I read the sign one day, I think it's so many millions of gallons per minute coming out of that spring wow. head. And those bass just funnel in there. The bass, the manatees, everything, everything loves congregates it. at those Man. areas Man. just for the w- water quality. And probably has a lot of nutrients coming up out of the ground like that in it. It does.
1: So, do you have any questions for us? We'll <laughs> ask a biologist moment if you. Have any?
5: Yeah, I got I'm made of questions right now. Perfect. <laughs> How many creel studies on a certain lake do you do in a year probably? So generally creel studies usually last
0: a year okay. on a particular body of water. Like, well, for instance, we might pick Lake Norman to yeah. do a creel study on. Uh-huh. And we will do that throughout the entire year for the most part. Sometimes we don't, but for the most part we'll do it during a 12-month period okay. because we're trying to look at angler behaviors in each season okay and so generally when we pick a body of water we try to focus on that body of water for a year then we'll move to another one
5: does that include a couple of electroshock or whatever studies or? that's different so the creel surveys in our when
0: we say creel surveys in our mind what that means that is talking to the fisherman that's talking to yeah. fishermen
1: angler surveys angler surveys
0: yeah and so, a biological surveys, now we do multiples of those. We do those throughout the state every year. Now, we don't hit every body of water every year. We kind of have them on a rotational basis. Gotcha. But we try, like, for instance, with bass, yeah. what we try to do in North Carolina is we generally try to hit it at least once every three years. Because bass, in general, are fairly stable population movements are not that rapid, so every three years is good enough to catch what's going on, if that makes any sense. But that's how we try to set them up. Sometimes if we know there's a problem or we know there's an issue or anglers have seen something, we may go to that lake for three or four years straight, you know, and kind of get a more in-depth picture over that time period, so to speak. So our surveys, you know, we collect length, weight. A lot of times we're collecting age data off of fish fin clips fin clips we do a lot of genetics work so across the entire state we're taking fin clips of just about every species of bass that we have some of it is to see like the amount of genetics between northern and floridas in our largemouth bass population some of it's to see how much alabama bass have intruded into our bodies of water because that's what's out there at lake norman the
5: alabama spots i got trying to figure out And let me ask you this, too. You could probably tell me this. You're you're smart, guys, that knows all this stuff. He's looking
1: at Corey right now.
5: (laughs) The Alabama spotted bass (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh, the Kentucky spotted bass are obviously two different species. They are two different species. Closely related, I'm saying? Is it very? Just
1: a few years ago, we thought they were the same. Everybody was like, they're about the same. But they are slightly different. Yeah,
5: they're close, but you can look at them and tell. So what's happening in the fish world, uh-huh. not
0: necessarily bass world, is that the genetic testing that we can do on fish now is so much more refined than it, say, was 20 years ago
3: uh-huh.
0: that we now can basically break out that that's a species versus that's a species. They can trace it all back lineage-wise and all that to know that at some point in time that split. So you got northern Kentucky spots and you got southern Alabama spots basically and so they are two individual I guess, species the
5: river spots is that yeah one? that's what a
0: lot of people called the alabama bass was coosa river spots
5: yep so these spotted bass on norman and i'm thinking a lot of the spotted bass in my area which is on hartwell lake kiwi they seem to be really similar i think they're probably the alabama strain they're all alabama yep. bass okay. all came from the alabama river yep okay they all came from that er- general area they have moved over, you know,
0: the first movement was into North Georgia. That's when that first started, and that probably started. Lanier. Yep, okay. Lanier. That probably started 40, maybe almost 50 years ago. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I mean, I'm just doing it in my mind. And then, yeah. Then it moved into northern South Carolina, where you are. Yeah. You started seeing some pop up in different reservoirs throughout that part of the state. That's right. And then in Norman... Norman has been 30, almost 35 years now that Norman's had them. And then now you're seeing this progression of those fish all throughout North Carolina. We're getting Alabama bass everywhere, which is good for Norman, not so good for everybody else. Yeah. And yeah. like if they got in a place like Jordan. Yeah. And got mixed in yeah. and ruined that largemouth bass fishery, you know, that we just talked about. As so, best I can tell, they like Highway 85. They seem to like yeah, I-85 because I- they're, like, they're, now, they're now in Virginia. <laughs> yeah. They're in East Tennessee. You really can't name, other than those Triangle Lakes. Yeah. In North Carolina, there's not really a river basin that does not have Alabama bass now, at least at some level. Some more, yeah. not, like the Catawba Basin's full of them. Yeah, you know, that's what oh, we're yeah. on today. It's uh-huh. full of them. Yeah. But if you go out west, you know, go west of here and go across the Appalachians, it's full of them. Yeah. You're getting in the Tennessee basin now and so Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: It's kind of like an amoeba. It just spreads and it's spreading by people like the three of us anglers. Yeah. I want to take them. I want to go put them somewhere and I get that at some level because you had a great day here at Norman catching spotted bass. I call them spotted bass all day long. So, I mean, it's just what it is. That's what I've always called them. But you take them to like a Lake James or you take them to Fontana or something like that, and you can just absolutely crush smallmouth.
5: They'll just disappear. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, I think you nailed it. As far as certain lakes we had never was really great, for largemouth. And Norman was one of Norman those. Was, Norman yep. was one yep. of them. And Norman was- is a lot like my home lake, which is Lake Keoway. Mm-hmm. Looks very similar. Shoreline, water depth, water clarity, everything. And kiwi just never was really a great largemouth. I mean, it's got some big largemouth in it. That, you know, I've, I've caught some real big ones in there, and it has a decent population of largemouth, but it just never was a great largemouth fishery as compared to Lake Murray mm-hmm. in South Carolina or Lake Jordan, like you mentioned. Yep. And some of those lakes, just like that, they have a really great largemouth population, and it's a good largemouth fishery, and you don't need the spots in those lakes. And you know a lot of people don't understand that, but it really probably improved the fishing on Kioway and Norman. But therefore, you know, if they get in uh, Jordan or Murray, you know, it could affect the fishery in a negative way.
0: So that's kind of been one of the things in my role with the state that I've been trying to get with with anglers about is that yes, I understand that it likely made Norman a better fishery, but if you'd have just talk to me about what about spotted bass at gaston lake up in the northern part of north carolina between north carolina and virginia comes out of where bugs island comes in you know gaston's the next one well they're all in gaston now
5: i think that's randy howell's home lake
0: it is randy howell's home lake it's marty stone's home
5: lake
3: okay
0: and now you're seeing that largemouth fishery take a huge hit because those alabama spots are there and that's my whole point is if we could just talk together you know before somebody does something like that you know it would be so much better because I'd be like, okay, I understand what you're talking about over here at Lake Norman, but over here, yeah, we really don't want to do that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it has such a
5: detrimental effect to the population. Exactly, and it did. It had a detrimental effect on uh, a lake in South Carolina, Savannah River Lake, just below Hartwell Lake, Russell. Yeah. Uh, Richard B. Russell back in, you know, I remember in high school, when I was in high school, late something and early something, <laughs> <laughs> you know, late 80s, early 90s Lake Russell, man, was an awesome largemouth lake man. And uh, had some great big ones And a lot of times, you know, it may take I remember a tournament that took like 34 pounds to win And mm-hmm. big fish was like an 11 or 12 pounder mm-hmm. It was full of timber And any tournament you fished on that lake Especially in the spring of the year I mean, it was going to take anywhere on a bad day, 20 And on a good day, maybe as much as 30 Mm -hmm. And now when you go down there, you know, you can win with 12 to 14 pounds. It's all spots
0: change so uh, much.
5: And that's one of the
0: things about spots as they've become invaders, because that's what they are. They're invading a new place is that they over reproduce so much that they can't reach any real. It's not to say that there's not a four pound spot or a five pound spot, but the bulk of them, just like at Norman, just like you guys are seeing here on TV. The bulk of them are in that two pound, maybe three pound range. And that's about it. And they don't really seem to get any bigger than that. And we got case after case after case after case after case where we
5: can show that. To oh, people. Yeah. If people would just ask and listen. That's and right. we got
0: to do a better job of
5: sharing. And you can watch the tournament results and, and you can see it. You know, you'll have a lot of people say, well, man, it's that lake. You know, it's just off. It's just off. Yeah. But, I mean, if it's been off a while you now. You watch <laughs> every tournament and, you know, the weights are similar. You know, that's what the lake has to offer that's
0: at that it. time. That's it. And I'll tell you one other thing about South Carolina in particular with the introduction of Alabama bass was we are now going to see potentially in the state of South Carolina, particularly in the upstate part of South Carolina, extinctions of species of bass that are only native to basically what Georgia and South Carolina for the most part, things like
1: well, our bass, the Bartram's bass. The Bartram's so bass in we North got Carolina. Just a little bit. We got bit. a little
0: bit, but you have a lot of it in South Carolina. They were all a group that was called the red eye.
1: Red eye. You know, yeah.
0: and Talepoose is another one. Shoal bass is another one. Yeah, you got the, is the Sewanee of Georgia or is that out Texas? Florida. Is that Florida? I don't know Florida, where all Georgia, of them
1: Georgia. On the panhandle. Yeah, on the
0: panhandle. That's where it's I gotcha. at. I got you. But those species of bass. Because of that introduction, because they're all in the rivers now, they didn't stay in the reservoirs. Yeah. These spots are out, out in rivers now. Those fish are probably 20, 30 years from now, probably not likely to exist. And they only exist in that part of the world. They don't exist in East Texas. They yeah. only exist in South Carolina and parts of Georgia. So that's probably the, well, not the one, but the one thing that we're going to probably miss the most is that there'll be species that don't exist anymore because of this.
5: Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I got one more question. We'll let you go on with your day. And thank you again for being on here. with talking with us. If you could have one lure.
0: We ask everybody. Yeah, yes. we
1: ask everybody this question. Dropped out of a plane to a reservoir. You got to catch a fish. One lure. You got to catch a fish. We can't tell you what time of year. Don't ask us that. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, you know, 10 years ago, I'd say a big jig, you know, a big half ounce green pumpkin jig with a big trailer on it, you know, but. Fishing nowadays, I'm going to say probably old uh, Buckeye spot remover here with a little zoom trick worm on it. That's Mm, probably be my... Two votes for trick worm (laughs) today. That's trick worms. That trick worm is a nasty bait, son. And these old spotted bass out here on Norman. They like it. They like it pretty good. Sure. uh, Old shaky head's hard to beat, man, nowadays, especially to get you a bite. And it'll catch a big fish. You know, a lot of people always that thought you throw a shake your head or something you know small when you want a little fish but it obviously appeals to big fish as well yeah. sure well we
0: can't thank you enough we know you got plenty of things you got to do today because this is what the show's all about you got to go around and meet and greet shake hands all that good stuff but we really appreciate you being on the show today
5: yeah i really enjoyed it uh learn some stuff too you know well maybe we'll have you
0: on again where you can ask us all the questions you want to ask
1: yeah us. there you go that sounds like fun thanks so much appreciate it Thank you for listening to the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission's podcast, Better Fishing with Two Bald Biologists. For more information, please visit ncwildlife.org or email us at biologists at ncwildlife.org.